Wow, this is so cool. Uh, welcome, James Bruner, to Red River Podcast, where we talk uh, pretty much movies and music and pop culture. And let me just give you like um, the reason. Like we we were we're obviously big action fans. You know, we're we're of the same age. And uh, Brian up there. Parker uh, was like, we should do an episode on Invasion USA because it's like our favorite Chuck Norris movie. So in my head, I'm thinking like, wouldn't it be fun to like, like I asked Sam Furstenberg, who we had on, if he knew anyone that worked on that movie. And he mentioned you and Aaron. So thank you so much for being here, because I mean, the movies that you wrote, we grew up on. Absolutely. Great to be here. Good, good to see you guys. Semi in person here. Yes, 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 yes. So um, now your work, I know you continue to work with uh, Bruner and uh, Stevens, I think it is, right? Yes. So, but I, I really like for, for a guy like you, like your first credit that I saw was Eye for an Eye with Chuck Norris from 81. Like how, how does a guy like you get into, into this business? Because I, I think that's fascinating. Well, this is uh, back in the Stone Age, almost literally. And uh, I... Grew up in Wisconsin. I made Super 8 movies in high school and went to University of Wisconsin-Madison, took film courses, but that was just watching Wild Strawberries and Virgin Spring and other Bergman movies and going, okay. And uh, never thought I have a degree in ancient medieval history, which uh, actually has ended, ended up being very good for in screenwriting, but uh, I ended up out here in California just by total accident. I was living at the beach. It was March. I didn't want to go back to Wisconsin because <laughs> I could. Now I wear a winter jacket all the time. But when I first moved out here, I was in a t-shirt year round. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Big difference. Yeah, um, I was working odd construction jobs, and I guess I didn't want to go back back home. So. Uh, Friend of mine, or actually, back up for a second. In, in college, I wrote some uh, articles for some wargaming magazines and history magazines. Uh, Gary Gygax had uh, a publication called The Dragon, and uh, I met him, played D D with him back in the day. But uh, so this friend of mine, so he wrote some. He wrote these articles. Why don't you write a screenplay? I have a cousin that works at Warner Brothers. And I'm like. Love movies. This is great. Screenplay. Never seen one. Don't know what it looks like. And I knew literally no one in, in the entertainment industry. So uh, I thought I tried. I, I didn't know enough to go to like USC or US, UCLA library or something. So I was back visiting my dad in Wisconsin and University of Wisconsin Madison Library. There was one book. How do I just screenplay? Oh man, perfect, <laughs> perfect. It was written during World War II. No one had ever even taken it off the shelf. I literally picked it up, opened it, pages fell out. It was so old. But the format is still basically the same. So I thought, oh, okay. This is how you format something. And uh, just, just I, curious, just curious too. Like like the like how do you describe what a screenplay is as opposed to like an actual uh story um, it, it, there's a whole language for a screenplay that's different from what people are used to if they're reading a short story or a novel or something 
there's a lot of, uh, on the one hand, there's a lot of shortcuts to a certain extent. Um, on the other hand, there's very specific formatting that uh, everyone expects. Uh, everyone does the formatting except for Quentin Tarantino. He can do whatever he wants, which is fine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We always come to that same conclusion on this podcast. Yeah. Tarantino <laughs> just does what he wants. Yeah, exactly. So other than other than Quentin, um, it's basically following a certain formatting style. And when you deviate from that, people get freaked out or upset. or So, uh, and the format's been the same for, you know, 80 years, since talkies at least. So, yeah. Uh, like a like a like a song structure basically yeah and 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 it's it'll be you know instead of uh describing the setting that you're on a mountaintop and the sun is in it's like the exterior mountaintop day morning evening whatever the time may be it's kind of a slug line and then you describe you know set up the scene cool Uh, some people write a lot of detail some write less um used to be that a lot of uh, screen direction was written in like close-up or tracking shot or something like that. Uh, that's pretty much fallen out of the wayside, although we just saw uh, a screenplay by uh, William Monaghan for this picture that uh, George Clooney direct, directed that's coming out. I forget the, the title of it. And he had the total camera discovers this or that. And so I'm like, okay, well, um, so people still do that, but um, generally it's kind of more of a general uh, type of thing. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to derail your story. I mean, if you want to pick it back up in Wisconsin, like I guess in the library. So, so I found this. So I found the book. Again, formatting interior, you know, scene, day, night, whatever, dialogue, how it's how it's spaced out, and everything. So okay, so came back out. California, worked at night. Neighbors told me later, I said, wonder who this weird guy was that this light was always on in the middle of the night. You could see him sitting at the table in the window, like typing something. And this is so long as pre-computer. So it's, you know, you didn't like to change things a lot back then because you'd have to retype the entire page. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Wait out yet. Yeah. <laughs> Now, now, were you always, I mean, you've written some of the most legendary action films, especially, you know, we talk about these films all the time, but did you ever have a, did you have a propensity to, to would you always like action? Or was that what was selling in the eighties? And you just kind of, you know, like what was. It's a, it's a good question. I've always liked action. Again, my backgrounds in history, American history, world history and everything. And I've always been drawn to action type of, stories historical stories so um when i had this opportunity i thought what am i going to write i'm going to write a western because that's i love westerns and uh i wrote a western by the time i finished it i'd lost track of this friend so now i knew no one in the industry and i thought well there's uh i've heard somewhere i read that there's you have to have an agent. Agents are located in Beverly Hills. So I drove to Beverly Hills, found a phone booth in a parking lot that had a yellow pages, and sure enough, there was a listing for agencies. And I just plugging in money, said, 
started with the A's. Hi, I've got a screenplay. Click, click, click. <laughs> and I finally got somebody down in the B's to, to read the script. And uh, I just went on about my regular stuff. Didn't, you know, wasn't really, didn't know enough to follow up or anything. And a few months later, I got a nice rejection letter saying, it's actually pretty good for your first play, but no one's doing Westerns. And I thought, oh, man. I, I have a background in martial arts, so I had an idea for an action movie. Uh, John Woo ended up doing this type of picture later, hard-boiled and so on. That was a combination of martial arts and guns. Yeah. The gunplay and everything. Yep, yep. So that was the original version of An Eye for an Eye. It was the lead character was a martial artist, but he's also, you know, used uh, well, used weapons. The weapons... When it when it uh, when Chuck got involved, they decided to just go pretty much strictly with the martial art, and uh, I. The way that happened was just one of these crazy crazy things where. In the meantime, from getting the rejection for the western and and writing this script, I met a couple people, at uh, a camera rental house in Hollywood, <laughs> and we became friends. And when I finished this, uh, an eye for an eye, I called up one of the guys and I said, you know, you've actually worked on a movie. Can you read the script and just see what you think? Now, why I didn't go back to the original agent? I don't know. I didn't, never didn't think of it. And this friend of mine said, I just, he was assistant cameraman on, on uh, a movie and he knew this character actor guy. And he gave it to that guy and the guy called me up, a guy named Mel Novak, who was a lot, lots and lots of B, B action pictures back in the day. And Mel read the script. I love the script. I just did A Force of One with Chuck Norris, and he's looking for a project. So he got it to Chuck, and uh, just a quick aside, the original version was only 70 pages long. And be the, between the time when Mel gave it to Chuck and Chuck finally responded, I'd written another 30 pages because the first response was, I like this, but it's kind of short. So I thought, oh, here's the here's the full version. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. I, and, and, and at that point, like was Chuck, I know a force of one was was definitely known as well, but like he was kind of on his way. And like in 81, like I feel like that was like the beginning of like like the action movies that we knew because before that there was like james bond and i remember being younger and going backwards and watching like um you know like the sean connery movies and thinking to myself like oh there's not really not much action in these you know it wasn't until like later on in the 80s that they just went ridiculous and stuff so you you were right there at the beginning of that time like did you feel that that like uh what were some of the movies that were also out that that you could mention well, I, I kind of speaking of earlier action movies, I mean, every, Bruce Lee, all the Golden Harvest, and, and uh, all those pictures I watched, again, having interest in martial arts in the 60s, 70s, I watched all those, I you know, loved Enter the, Enter the Dragon probably 300 times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Me too, I think. And, uh, but it just was one of those things where I, I thought, well, they're doing all this stuff, but they haven't combined, you know, action with with guns and stuff with martial arts and that would be cool to do so you know we were talking about uh 
<laughs> basically like the action movie. So like when you write a movie in particular, we don't really know, like you're a writer, like let's say for eye for an eye, like how involved are you after you give the script away? What, what happened in this case is, since it was my first script, first, first sale and everything, um, got, a, got a great deal and all this stuff, got hired to do the rewrite. And uh, it was a small independent studio called AFCO Embassy. And uh, Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember seeing that, the logo. Oh, yeah. And they did, uh, I'm trying to remember the time, Carpenter Picture. They did some stuff that was really popular uh, back, back then. And I kept calling the head of development saying, well, when do you want me to start the rewrite? So just wait, just wait. And uh, even though they paid me, they hired someone else to, to do a rewrite on it. So uh, that was kind of my thing, like, what? Wait a minute, what? Is that a normal thing to do sometimes? Yeah, usually usually, um, usually you get a chance to at least do one rewrite. Like I said, or they'll pay you and have someone else do it. It's just you know, yeah. one of those things that uh, you kind of never know. Uh, do you on the set for any of these films too? Like when it goes to that point, like yeah, yeah, but not not uh, not an eye for an eye, and uh, just to to finish the eye for an eye story. So the picture got made. I uh, got invited to the cast and crew screening, and I ended up knowing some of the stuntmen that worked on the picture. And at the screening, they set me up on a blind date with this beautiful woman that was a friend of theirs. They used to uh, go to the house and mow her, mow her lawn and play bunny poker and she'd make them spaghetti because everybody was starving. Yeah. And, uh, so we've been, we just had our 35th uh, wedding anniversary. Like, oh, wow. Over. Congrats. So, That's crazy. That's so awesome. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, yeah, she was Elizabeth Stevens professionally. So that was the best thing that came out of the whole thing. But um, That and the Tanaka fight, though. Those are the two things. Uh, <laughs> he, he was... The nicest guy, yeah, you know, tougher than anything, but uh, he always on screen or, or and <laughs> he got the biggest kick out of people being afraid of like little kids. Oh my gosh! Yeah, as a as a kid, I always remembered that movie for that fight in particular because you know all of us growing up, like we knew that like we just knew the formula to action movies. You know, it's like you have like the, the main henchman, you have the bad guy that doesn't fight as good as the henchman that there's usually karate and drugs involved somewhere. <laughs> and that's what it is. So like, Russia, Russia yeah, Russia, too, Russia point. too. Yeah. So, yeah. um, you, so I for an eye, um, does it, uh, bring you to your next project or is that something that you in around in, in a very interesting roundabout way but to answer your earlier question actually sure. about uh you know the extent of involvement like an eye for an eye the original draft i wrote out every punch every kick every oh shot, that's every awesome that's awesome mm. and then uh chuck basically chuck and Aaron said you know we're gonna basically we're gonna do that it will be whatever because everybody has different uh, things that they're good at or they want to, you know, they want to portray certain moves that they can do that no one else can kind of thing. So yeah. uh, after that, I kind of got more general in the, What was it like working with Chuck for the first time there? Because I know you guys have um, a long relationship after that. Yeah, we, we actually only met a few times. Uh, actually, a friend of mine had introduced me to him on the set of uh, 
the octagon. Okay. And just kind of in passing, and, and there's a crowd Chuck Norris, and I met uh, another guy that, that um, octagon who became a good friend, Tadashi Yamashita. I'm sure you've seen some of his pictures. And, uh, um, but so I didn't really work with Chuck much, an eye for an eye, just a few meetings and so on, talking the story. And then um, being new to Hollywood and everything, Eye for an Eye came out, it did very well. Uh, and I thought, oh, phone's going to start ringing, going to get jobs, it's going to be great, mm-hmm. going to be a, you know, right movie. And uh, money kept going out <laughs> and phone didn't ring. So uh, Elizabeth uh, knew, knew Chuck uh, because we lived in uh, San Fernando Valley at that time. And Chuck had one of his original karate skills was in Tarzana, uh, California. And uh, my stepdaughter, Jennifer, was, had, was going to the school. And Chuck used to go whenever they had belt testing. And he and Elizabeth hit it off. They'd always talk and everything. So um, Elizabeth knew Steve Carver, who directed An Eye for an Eye. And then uh, Steve went on to direct uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid. Okay. So, so uh, they had a a screening of actually just the trailer for Lone Wolf McQuaid and uh, Steve Carver invited Elizabeth. She brought him on and uh, Chuck was there. And after the screening, Chuck went up. Are you still going out with that guy, James Bruner, who wrote an eye for an eye? And she said, I, I am. He said, do you have his phone number? Because I'd like him to write something. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Mm. That's so cool. Can't hear you. After, no, no. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There, you go. there we go. We got you. Yeah. Oh, that must be a weird thing on this end. Sure. Uh, Chuck lost his brother Waylon in Vietnam and wanted to do something to, you know, honor God's MIAs and so on. So uh, he wanted to, you know, write a, do a film about that. So I uh, spent, I don't know, I don't know, it was a long time writing uh, Missing in Action. And I met uh, a couple guys, one guy in particular, Jim Monahan, was a uh, Green Beret, been uh, in Green Beret for like 20 some years, you know, multiple tours in Vietnam, tons of Purple Hearts and all this stuff. And he was very actively involved at that time in the early 80s with the, the real MIA situation and trying to, you know, find if any guys were alive, get them out and so on. So he uh, was basically an effective advisor, became the best, my best friend, best man at my wedding so on so i get a lot of great stuff from him and i actually just reread the original script a couple weeks ago and it's too bad they didn't make that but you know that's oh really yeah okay Um, i mean anything in particular that you remember that was slightly different it was completely different oh it's completely different different. okay well i i take it back and i i don't want to digress too much on this but what happened with Missing in Action is uh, Chuck was trying to get it, fi- we were trying to get it financed and uh, I was helping out with that and you know, all this stuff. So uh, he called me up one day and he said, there's this producer that's interested in, in the script. And I don't, I just, you know, I met so many of these guys, can you go have lunch with him to see what he has to say? So I went out to Malibu and met this guy. He was very interested, so I want to read the script. So I gave him a copy of the script. And uh, Chuck 
called me and said, yeah, we're going to, there's this new kind of new company called Canon. Oh yeah. They, show, show them the hat. Show them the hat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they want to do missing in action. I, I got a meeting with this, this guy, Menachem. Something, yeah. You know. <laughs> And I'll, I'll call you. It's at 10 in the morning. I'll call you afterwards. So I'm waiting around noon, two in the afternoon. Geez, not quite that he's actually good at communicating. And I uh, finally calls me like late, late in the days. Well, I went in and had the meeting, and uh, they wanted to wanted do missing in action, but they handed me a different script. It wasn't the one you wrote. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay. uh, he said, uh, I agreed to do that. They offered him, they made him a, a great deal. And um, so I said, but they're going to buy your, they're going to buy your script. So you're at least get, you know, you get paid from it. Yeah. And wow. is, is, is that, is that bittersweet sometimes though? Like you do get paid for your work, but sometimes it doesn't see the light of day. Like what are your thoughts on that? We, we actually have a number of friends that are, really successful screenwriters they've made fortunes working in studio pictures and have never had a picture made wow mm. so that i mean the uh it's it's much first looking at much better to get something on the screen even if it's not you know what you envisioned it's still you you're know. right yeah 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 for sure and you and like missing in action now they they made Part they filmed part one and two at the same time. Like, what was that whole? Well, why did that happen? I'll try to make this somewhat short. So the okay. script that they gave Chuck and they wanted to make, um, they Lance Hull was the producer, and then he ended up directing the movie. And just and this is how Kevin operates. <laughs> they gave Chuck the script. They made him a deal, and Lance found out I think that night that they didn't own the rights to the script. So he went out and optioned the script himself. That's how he got attached. It. That's how he got to direct it and so on. So they they went to, uh, Cannon always had creative financing to put it mildly. And uh, St. Kitts was newly independent down in the Caribbean. So they went, Chuck, Lance and Aaron, everybody went, they went down to St. Kitts to make this Missing in Action film. And, uh, I get a call from Aaron saying, back in LA, pack your bag, you're gonna you're coming down to St. Kitts. We're gonna, they already want to do a sequel and they want you to write it. And we're gonna shoot the trailer for the sequel. Amazing. While we're yeah, <laughs> so that's good. amazing, amazing. Typical canon. All right. So I go down to St. Kitts and I I took the original script. It was much, a much bigger production, like much bigger action. So I couldn't really use the bigger action stuff, but I used a lot of the story. I wrote a trailer. Some cooler heads prevailed for a change over there. They decided, oh, maybe we shouldn't do the trailer right now. Yeah. And uh, so came back here, finished writing the screenplay. Now it had to be a sequel to this first movie. And so I had to make some adjustments to that and so on. And uh, they hired Joe Zito to direct. That's that's our guy right there. We uh, yeah. we um, so we always bring up like uh, like the when we had Sam Furstenberg on, we we're like, yeah, where the hell is Joe Zito? Because we would love to have him on. But he told me he's in like uh, 
Abu Dhabi or something like directing like TV or something, because that guy made the prowler. He made uh, invasion USA. He made uh, missing in action and uh, Friday the 13th part four. He's, 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 he's definitely one of our gods for sure. Yeah, he's some some. I like to say he's somewhere in the Middle East doing something. That yes, yes. May not want to know about. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh... he, he was good. This is again. No, he was good to originally direct it, Delta Force, which would have been fantastic. But um, yeah, yeah, he had that, and what also they had him for like uh, Spider Man. Yeah. Um, I mean, like that that company. As much as we, you know, we love it from the outside. You know, I couldn't imagine what it was like working for them. But like as, as fans, you know, watching the documentary, you know, uh, it's 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 a great story. But it, I, I don't think it seemed like a sustainable business model. I It just made sense that it eventually evaporated. But, you know, looking back at it now, like looking back at it now, like what do you think of canon? Like do you look at it fondly or? or... Well, yeah. And, and up until literally the very end of my time there, I actually had a great time. I got. Menachem would just call me up and say, hey, you know, starting a movie in six weeks, we, we don't have a script. Do you want to write it? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this is course. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I love that, so, you know. You know, I mean, the pay was never that great, but it was good. And it was, you know, having these pictures that were actually made is really, it was like, I didn't go to, that was my film school, I always tell people. Yeah. Because I he would call me in and say, hey, we we shot this picture and it, it needs help and we need somebody to look at the footage and figure out we have two days that we can shoot and we have the actor lead actor for one day what can you what can we shoot and, you know write something so that was a, a really good uh you know good experience and and, and- and uh, by this time, like, you know, by 84, by Missing in Action, you've already written a few, like, you know, screenplays. Like, uh, are, are you, like, at this point, like, you feel confident, like, by you feel you're, you're getting better at what you're doing by 84? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because it, it's, you know, it's the whole thing. You can talk about something, but until you actually do it, and then you work on it and see the results, and then you working in collaboratively with different people is always interesting because everybody has different perspectives and, you know, uh, what makes sense to me, like, oh, it's, it's on the page, you know, other people go, no, I don't, they, they don't get it. So um, that was part of the whole learning process, which, and you still go through it even, you know, to this day. It's, and that's where uh, Elizabeth has actually been kind of like a, a story editor and and more from the beginning, helping with that kind of stuff. And uh, every director is in person we work with always call her the logic police. Okay, that's good. Because you'd be at a story meeting. Yeah. And going, yeah, and then they go like this, and they go over here, and they go, and we're all like, and she goes, oh, you know what? But then we have to change this and this and this and this. It's like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's better to do it there and then to, to, to realize that, uh, you know, at the end. Um, That's great. I mean, you guys sound like a great team. Parker, you had a missing in action story, did you? Oh, yeah. So when I was a little kid, funny enough. So so we all saw these movies like, uh, way. Yes. there you go. There you <laughs> That's go. Awesome. That's a great mug right there. I got the uh, 
these are my two favorites right here. So I had, took them from the uh, from the DVD stash. Awesome. But uh, I mean, we all saw these movies probably way earlier than we were supposed to. I mean, I think I was watching Invasion USA when I was like eight years old. So but I remember uh, missing an action. I remember my parents bought me. So maybe this is their fault, bought me fake hand grenades from like Toys R Us or something. And every time I would grab these things, I would step, you know, to the highest thing of my parents' stairs or a couch and just jump off like I was in missing an action with, you know, Chuck Norris with the two hand grenades in slow motion. Yeah, that is, that is so funny. Like we we grew up watching, you know, Revenge of the Ninja, like all these movies, because I don't know, like you, back then and even back then, like the VHS tapes, what was the VHS boom like for you? Oh, gosh, that was that was fantastic. It really uh, um, Kind of unbelievable. And that, that really helped me with Canon foreign sales and then VHS sales really were huge driving force. And as long as they stayed with their formula, they did really well. They probably still be in business, but they, you know, got carried away with uh, doing these, you know, bigger over the top is Stallone. I want to work with Stallone. We're going to pay him 15 million. And yeah. I'm wrestling yeah. truck driver. Come on, guys. I know. I know. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I mean, they should have gotten you to write that script. Definitely. It would have been no, no arm wrestling in that one. <laughs> so that like I actually read God. somewhere and I don't I hope it's true, but uh, that Invasion USA and Gone with the Wind were the two highest grossing VHS sales for MGM. I think uh, home video. I believe it at one point. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I good company. It's really, uh, it's really gratifying because they're still, Invasion and Delta Force and Missing Action are still popular worldwide. You know, we still get income from all, literally all over the globe. I mean, look look at us three idiots right here. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about Invasion USA doing it around this time too, because we consider it a Christmas, a Christmas movie. movie. Like some people yeah. think Die Hard yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so let's let's talk about that script because that script is um it it really is like a a fear like that people have where it's like, oh imagine like, you know, because we live such a kind of like a carefree life. We don't really have the chaos that, that certain places have and stuff. So mm-hmm. how did Invasion USA come about? Well, it was, it's, it started because Menachem wanted Chuck to start an American Ninja. And he hired, I was hired to write the script. Oh, wow. Chuck did, Chuck did not want to do a ninja movie. He, he loved doing the martial arts in, you know, Delta and Invasion and so on, but he didn't want to do just like say a Kung Fu movie. And so I said to, to him and Aaron, I said, okay, don't worry, I've got an idea. <laughs> and so the, base, the, the very basic idea was it's going to be, you know, an undercover agent whose code name is American Ninja. <laughs> okay. And so I wrote Invasion USA and I had the idea just as, as you guys were saying, it's something, you know, we've seen in other countries and yeah. so on. It hasn't happened here. Uh, and thought, okay, if it did happen, also taking into it needs to be a movie and be, you know, cool and big and all this stuff. How, how could it happen? So uh, 
came up with that idea, wrote the script. Menachem literally read the draft. We had Chuck and Aaron and I had to sit in his office while he read the draft. And I turned to remember, I can't remember if Zita was in there with us or not at that point. And he, he finished the script, put it there, and this little grin said, of course, you cannot call it American Ninja. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, so no. I said, it, how about Invasion USA? Yeah. That's what, that's what you said? Yeah, that's a great name, completely. And he's, oh, yeah. he probably loved it. Did he actually read the whole script while you sat there? I mean, he might have been skimming, but he, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of the whole time he's reading it? Like, does he make, <laughs> does he like make give away any, like, I mean, uh, like, does he, does he have a poker face or do you feel like he's enjoying it? He didn't, yeah, he just kind of just like a, a regular guy you were watching you know read something which is boring watching someone reading yes so he, he wasn't real yeah he wasn't animated. demonstrative or anything yeah yeah, yeah. okay good good and, uh, i also read that film was very um i'm sure they all change a lot from what you've written and stuff like that but was there there was a lot more background on the characters or something they cut out or lost the audio things that happened with with the picture um, yeah, originally, what well, to go to what was actually what was finally released. The uh, the woman reporter had a much bigger role, and we saw the when we saw Zito, the director's cut, Zito's first cut. Um, he probably cut out twenty to twenty five minutes, and oh, wow. she. Her character was really telling the story, and we were seeing things escalate and, and consequences and so on through her eyes. And it's a really, it's a really nice woman, but her um, performance just didn't work. And uh, you know, we were on Elizabeth and I were on set, part of the picture, and you know, we she did there were like twelve takes of saying "Hey, cowboy." None of them, yeah, none of them just worked. And again, it just one of those things didn't work. Uh, so yeah, 20 to 25 minutes of story really is gone from the release to release version, and uh, which is too bad because it really made the story even bigger and you know, you understood more of what was going on and, and so on. Yeah, and you said you said you were on set, were you on set when they blew up that neighborhood? For that epic scene no, no. but no. what what uh, kind of funny i guess i could say this now so zeno so had the original draft zeno was hired to direct it chuck was working on um he was working in chicago like andy davis picture um was it code of, code silence? of silence code of silence yeah so we Joe wanted to go location scouting and he wanted me to go to see what we could find and then we could incorporate it in the picture. He said, it's better if you see it and we, you know, you come up with stuff and we can actually do it. So we stopped in Chicago. So Chuck, oh. <laughs> and uh, Zito brought the, the release print of Missing in Action. Chuck hadn't seen it. No one had seen it. So we had a screening. It's just uh, Chuck and Aaron and I and Zito and uh, Chuck's agent manager lawyer 
and uh, watched the movie, and, and Andy Davis, and watched the movie, like, whoa, I, this first time I'd seen it, music, all the stuff, like, whoa, at the end, I'm like, oh, man, goosebumps. So we get in the van to go back to the hotel. Chuck's manager leans <laughs> over to me and said, I don't think it'll hurt his career. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did we just watch the same movie? I uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, like that that movie. I mean, seriously, like this was the whole idea of the episode because we love the movie so much. Because it's w- when it comes to action films, like the movies today look like video games. Like they don't even look like real action whatsoever. This movie looks like they followed a team of mercenaries <laughs> and blew up everything like it, and it was just like i mean first of all i want to know who wrote uh the uh billy drago getting shot in the dick and then thre- the girl had to- <laughs> you wrote that was that you you're like chuck he no. shot two guys in the dick in that movie <laughs> well, yeah richard lynch richard lynch is amazing he was so good in yes. that movie he, yeah he was fantastic and i'm embarrassed to say i don't remember the name of the actor that played the secondary guy nico oh yeah yeah every those guys did a fantastic job. It really, uh, yeah, Richard was just phenomenal. phenomenal. Great, ca- great casting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. And and uh, so when that movie came out, like I, I, it was kind of like a hit, right? So like at this point, you're kind of like riding high, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? So it was, yeah, even though, it, like I said, I was disappointed that so much had to be cut out. Sure, sure. It's still, you know. It's great to see movies with an audience, with a real audience, not a Hollywood audience, and see the reaction because that's uh, like when this thing in action came out, we went down to Hollywood Boulevard and saw the picture with like a real audience. And it was people stood up cheering at the end. So that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like writing, writing an album and seeing it for sure. And and at this point, like what are, you know, what's, what's your life, your professional life like in, in like 1985, 86? Well, honestly, Canon, I was working continually for Canon. I did a lot of stuff, stuff that, you know, I didn't ask for credit on, stuff that, um, and right, they ended up not making it or whatever. But so I was working nonstop, which was great. And uh, it was great, again, because working with different different directors, you know, and, and so on. Uh, really, like getting, getting paid to get an education. In film. That's great. Yeah, for sure. And what, what, what didn't come out that broke your heart in particular, if you have one of those? Um, the or, original sequel to Delta Force would have been really good. Yeah. would have been really really terrific and that that got got uh, derailed because um, Michael Winter uh, not the one Michael Winter to direct the sequel and I was they flew me over to London I was supposed to meet with Michael for like a couple days and come back to LA write the script and uh, I don't know if you guys know Michael Winter know much of that yeah you know we know his work for sure yeah that that, that would be a good pick for for yeah. uh Delta Force sequel yeah but he was a real wild man to put it mildly okay <laughs> and just, just set up this story real quick so I fly over to London I'd of course seen Death Wish Shadows yeah, Land yeah. I love these pictures I was like oh this yeah I'm thinking the same thing great idea and uh 
So <laughs> can invite him, meet him at his house for lunch. And I take a cab. It's a beautiful red brick, literally Victorian mansion. Famous Victorian artists live there. National Register, all this stuff. Go to the door, knock on it. This butler guy opens the door and he's twitching kind of like this. And then follow me, sir. He takes me upstairs and I see that there's like a maid in a the full maid uniform costing. She's kind of going twitching. It's kind of unusual, but um, <laughs> so we go upstairs and Michael's study slash office is overlooking the front door from the garden. Big open windows, gorgeous, just, you know, again, all Victorian, perfect condition. And uh, he sat me on his desk smoking a big stogie. And somehow the subject came up about the staff and being so nervous. And, and he said something like, I guess that's because I maybe don't treat him so well. So what would you do if I treated you like that? And I looked at him, I'd pick you up and throw you out the window. <laughs> and he took his cigar out. This is a movie moment. Leans back. And I was his best friend from then on. That's it. Yeah, it's the way. Yeah, those, those are jailhouse rules, man. Everyone knows that. Yeah. You, you can't you can't let anyone do that to you. Wow, that's great. Um, so that. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say, just to finish. The, so you wanted me to stay in London and write the script. So I'm writing a script. What year I, was this, though? Because like so because the original so the, the actual sequel that came out was 1990. So it was like between 86 and 90 then. Yeah, this is probably. OK. And uh, so I have my friend Jim Monaghan, who I, I met on through uh, uh, Missing in Action. And one of the many things he did is he back then he told me about the Delta Force. No one knew about it. He, he helped train the original Delta Force, one of the original trainers. So he told me, there's this unit no one knows about, it's called the Delta Force, and how they went, you know, people know the failure at, in Iran. And uh, I actually pitched it to Monaco. And I'm like, no, 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 no one's to be. And uh, a year later, Menachem calls me from New York. He had seen a little article, probably this big, in Time magazine about the Delta Force. Didn't it really say what it was? Calls me up. Jimmy, Chuck Norris, Charles Bronson, the Delta Force. Yes. Yes. Like, oh, yes. I want to write. Are you yes. kidding? <laughs> That's awesome. I forgot uh, Bronson was attached to it. So yeah. That that's the one that got away. That would have been, I think a standout, standout yeah. action picture for the time with those two guys that I had a whole scenario. I wrote a treatment and, uh, I mean, them. yeah, just like what would have been like the, 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 the plot, like if you were going to write the back of the VHS. Well, it was, uh, it was 87. So basically the, the idea was, and this happened in real life later that, uh, uh a busload of, International tourists were kidnapped by terrorists at one of the, not the pyramids, but at one of the big historical sites in Egypt. Delta didn't go in. But the idea was that Delta went in and it was going to be everybody get 
all the good guys killed except for Chuck and Bronson. So they're having to hold off the terrorist hordes, rescue these busloads of international tourists until the end of the picture when the whole Delta Force comes in and the gigantic, you know, battle at, uh, in the ancient Egyptian, you know, great yeah. uh, historical site there. Yeah, listen. I would have loved this. Scene. I know. I would have loved this. <laughs> yeah. that. Totally. I, I don't know if it didn't happen just because the budget would have been too much or what. But yeah. Anyway. Were you were you conscious of certain things that, that you were writing with the budget then in mind? Like, you know, you're like, okay, I can't really go too crazy because we're going to be at like five million or whatever. They never, you know, they actually never told me to do that, which was in hindsight kind of surprising. But I think they also were. Uh, looking at it is they weren't quite sure because everything they did was based on their foreign pre-sales and you know they did pre-sales on the delta force with Morris and bronson <laughs> so uh those buyers are probably disappointed but you know um, yes it's amazing like those those like there's a on youtube there's like a there's a reel of everything that they would, uh, I guess, promote at like Cannes or whatever those festivals were. And there were so many movies that did never even came out, but it, it's amazing. They had this like, you know, like, I don't know, 30 second reel of each one of these movies and stuff. But it's like, oh, Michael Dudikoff and Spider-Man and all this other stuff. So I love it. What a great, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed like, like I said, looking back at the documentary, which I'm pretty sure you were in. I, I was in one of them, which, uh... Yeah, 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 you were in two, the I think. Electric Boogaloo. Electric Boogaloo, yeah. 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 Um, but it, here's another question. It's, uh, at that time, I know censors were like a big thing. Like, did you get any backlash for like violence and, and action movies that, that you were aware of? Not, not really. I mean, I never. Again, it was pre-Twitter and everything. So it probably saved us. So yeah. we probably would have been uh, Although when you look at John Wick or any of the John Wick pictures, that's our stuff is completely tame compared yeah. to that. Even even though it's as you were saying earlier, we had like it was real stunts. Real stuff, yeah. You know, it wasn't green screen and you know CGI. Yeah. It was I, I, I guys still, doing crazy stuff for real. I, still, I know in the UK release of uh, Invasion USA, they they cut the scene where Billy Drago gets shot in the dick and and. The girl doing the cocaine, they cut that mm. whole scene out for violence. What about the girl? Violence. What about putting the girl, uh, the girl putting the star on the tree? I was like, man, this, I love it. It's so good. <laughs> They're about to ruin their Christmas. Brutal. Um, I, I, so real quick, speaking of the Delta Force, so like that's a movie that I know me, I don't know if Langan is a big fan of it, but like, uh, me and sure. Parker are like, I like, I grew up loving that movie and you figure 86, I'm eight years old watching this movie. I didn't really get the concept as to the, you know, the Israeli uh, connection and all that other stuff. But I just knew that I love Chuck Norris and I knew that he was going to beat the shit out of Robert Forrester. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you wrote that with Manahan? Oh, yes. What was that like? It was very interesting. Again, the original picture was Chuck and Bronson. And I yeah, yeah, yeah. Gave you the scenario. Yeah. And then when, I, when the uh, the PWA hijacking happened, Menachem had uh, directed a picture Operation Thunderbolt about the Raven and Tibet. Yep. yep, yep. It was actually probably a, the best thing done. And 
Keaton saw this as an opportunity to do that type of movie with a, with a budget and be in control. And so he wanted to direct it. And again, Zia was going to originally direct it. And, uh, so I wrote, wrote a draft here. Um, Malcolm went, went to Israel to start pre-production and everything. Had me and uh, Elizabeth come over and uh, I ended up literally sitting shoulder to shoulder with him at his, at his desk in his Tel Aviv office all day writing stuff. And I'd come back the next morning. He'd stayed up pretty much all night rewriting it. And I'd have to spend half the day trying to fix the, yeah, <laughs> the improvements yeah. he made during the night. Okay. And I finally one day said to him, why don't we, you know, why don't we just share the writing credit? Okay, but you get you get first first position. Like okay, <laughs> you're doing like twice the work. Yeah. <laughs> Editing too, but he sounds yeah. you know like uh, the thing about Menahem. Like uh, he sounds like a, he sounds like a lot of fun, or he sounded like a lot of fun, obviously. Uh, and and somebody who loved movies and and uh, was always like I feel like I could have ran into him in the street and been like, hey, you don't know me, but I have an idea for a movie, and he'd be like, tell me about it. Oh yeah, he he was totally like that. And until the end, when they were in such financial trouble, when there was like terrible, you know, uh, pressure and everything, right? You know, yes, there was a, a lot of fear and, and anxiety and stuff. Yeah, he was just like that. He'd be fun, and uh, you know, we were invited up to his, uh, his condo in Tel Aviv and for dinner and all this stuff. And he was a great host and. Uh, you know, we actually had a good time. And then uh, he, yeah, he loved, he loved movies, really loved, loved him. And uh, a couple of quick things on Delta Force though. Um, so writing the movie, the, the hostages, I mean, literally are, they're across the border in Lebanon. So they're right there. We don't know what's going to happen. We're thinking the Delta's maybe is going to come in. And uh, so finally one day he says, well, we don't have an ending. Well, we know the ending has to be, they've got to, in the movie at least, they've got to save the hostages. He says, we don't know what's going on up there. Jimmy, you will go to Beirut. You will go to the Beirut airport. You will find out what is going on. Wow, <laughs> that's so great. Like, what do you say to that? I'd like, we're right American. Can I speak Arabic? Uh, I kind of stand out like a sore thumb. I don't think such a good idea. And luckily, um, Ronnie Akka and a couple of the other main canon guys there were like, no, not such a good idea. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> okay, okay. And uh, so the, uh, you know, so the ending was just, of course, fictionalized. So, but we we're location scouting and they found a location for the school. And if you remember the picture, hostages are in this room. There's like three yep. stories of the school. Yep, yep, yep. Hostages in the basement, hostages are on the middle floor. So we go into location scout. We walk into the basement, looking up at the ceiling, the basement is so tall, the ceiling. And I can say, Jimmy, you can't figure out how we get the last guy up in the room. Because in the script, I've written how they actually would do it, and uh, which was basically guys who were actively in Delta at that time were friends of Monaghan 
and they let us, they told us stuff that was not general knowledge, but it was out to the bad guys, so it was okay if we, you know, did something. And they basically create a sort of a pyramid type thing, just to, uh, unfolds, go up, and use a bomb blade that they blow a, a hole through the ceiling and just literally stand up in the room and kill all the bad guys. So, <laughs> which would have been awesome, right? Yeah, for sure. So we're standing in the basement, and he said, well, I can't figure out who got the last guy in the room. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, if we use the teeter-totter, he was thinking of a circus teeter-totter where the guy's standing, another guy jumps here, and this guy flies through the air, through the hole, lands in the room. That was his one idea, because he'd forgotten what was in the script. And the other one was they're going to have a mini trampoline and run and jump and fly up through the air and do thing. I like and it. Mm. Like that. I, 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 you know, a, a seven-year-old me would have been all about it. Sure. <laughs> yeah, right. For sure. Yeah, that I rented the shit out of that movie. The score was so good. Uh, the yeah. cast was great. Steve James was in there. Um, Liam Neeson had a little bit part in there too. You know, it's just uh, Shelley Winters just random mm -hmm. randomly in there. <laughs> there was uh, the, the original version was over four hours long. Oh, we, wow. We, 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 it, and again, if it had been done more currently, they would have saved that version. It would have been a, a great miniseries. Yes, it would have been like a Netflix. A, a lot of stuff with the hostages and their backstories and all this yeah. stuff. And, and with, with the Delta guys too. And it was just uh, just too long. And I've checked into it over the years and I guess they didn't save any of the elements or anything from any of the pictures. So the, the missing stuff from Invasion, the extra stuff from Delta is... Yeah, gone. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, that would have been great. Like now with Netflix or like any any streaming service, like you could you could turn anything into like a five hour thing, you know? So it's, it's, you could tell that story. Special release uh, DVD or something. Yeah. With yeah. All the... yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. Brian, Brian's got all of it up there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like 10 versions of uh, Delta force, but um, <laughs> so like towards the end, I, I know that you ended up doing the last <clears throat> missing in action. Um, and I don't know, did you have anything to do with the Delta force two that came out with, with Aaron? Um, Cause I, what, what happened when I was working with Michael Winner, Similar to what happened working with Menaka is that Michael wanted 10 pages a day. So I just go, they ran me a flat, I had to come back to the flat, come back the next morning with 10 pages. So I did that. He would read them, go, this is shit, this is shit, this is shit. He'd rewrite, completely change the story and the characters. And after a while, I just thought, you know, yeah, man. Michael Winner, I'm not going to. Yeah. He, he likes me, but I'm, you know, this is what he wants to do. So yeah, you, you uh, could be, you could be friends, but you don't have to do business, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. when, when the script got turned in, I came back, I, I walked into the Canon story department and the head of the head of the story department said, what happened to you? Because they read the script, Michael Winter's script, to put my name on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this, I didn't write it. Michael Winter wrote it. He was like, oh, my gosh. Thank 
That's great. Yeah. I mean, and, and at this time, so like 88, 89, like, I guess it's kind of like the beginning of the end of Canon. So as far as like a future, like a, like an action writing screenwriter, like yourself, what, what are you thinking? Like, what's the future plan at this time? Like around, around the time of Braddock, let's say. Yeah, like I was hoping, I, I, I felt that the original script for Braddock was the best script of all. Mm. And uh, it didn't matter. What didn't, end up getting made that way but the original the original script was really very emotional very you know uh, really good Zeta was originally going to direct that and uh, they went through like 10 directors and uh, that's where I got fired by Menarca <laughs> is in that process, in that process. Uh, I'd written three or four drafts I think and they were they loved the last draft he called me in the office and he said um, Jimmy, uh, I, I need to pay you half of uh, what, what we guaranteed you for the script. I said, why? Said, well, Aaron Norris's deal is tied to your deal, and I don't want to pay Aaron this much money. Not that it was much money, but I mean, yeah. and uh, I said, well, I already wrote four drafts and everything. He said, well, if you don't take it, if you don't take the, half the money, then You'll never work for Canon again. And at this point, we had CBS wanted to do a Delta Force series. And I had written a pilot script for them with uh, Jim Monahan wrote it uh, with me. So we had real great inside stuff from, from Delta. And that was active. And I said, I said, oh, okay, we'll do the TV thing. Well, we're not doing that either. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, that was my last thing there. And I was like, okay, now what do I do? I've been working for however many years, nonstop, got all these movies out and everything. And uh, so it was a, an interesting transition time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Exactly. And and from there, like, uh, you know, just fill us in basically on, on what happened and, and what you're doing now. Well, we, uh, I, I, Elizabeth and I said she'd been working alongside you know, story editors, ideas, all this stuff, dialogue, and all along. And I finally said to her one day after after the Braddock thing, I said, you know, let's write a script together. She said, no, I couldn't do, you know, I couldn't do that. And uh, we had a, a story that we had been pitching around and got interest but never could get it going. So let's 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 just write the script and we'll see how it We'll see how the relationship goes, how the work goes and everything. And uh, so we <clears throat> wrote a draft and uh, Richard Zanuck read it and called, called us in for a meeting. And he uh, loved the writing, didn't want to do that particular story. And he said, what else do you, you know, what other stories do you have? I want to work with you guys. And we're like going, I'm thinking, okay, I'm doing stuff with Chuck Norris and Cannon. This is Richard freaking Zanuck, and this is pretty, something's right about this working together thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we ended up writing a, a, a project for him. Hasn't been made, he's passed away, but it's it's a historical thing. So hopefully one day that'll, yeah. that'll get made. Cause you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're a big history buff for sure, right? Yeah. A lot of, well, everything, pretty much everything. What is the most fascinating time for you that, that, that you, 
you know, go back to like, what's your favorite uh, uh, era to read, to read about or, or to get creative with? There's not so many, but I mean, you know, World War II era, 30s, yeah. so on, really in the, in the early 50s kind of thing, always really fascinating. There's a lot of great stories and a lot of, uh, uh, it's, it's become, current day has been a little less interesting to me personally, just because with the instantaneous communications and all these things, it's, I mean, people are still making their pictures Lost of history. And so um, with, with the contemporary. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I think this contemporarily, it's, it's less interesting just because, again, instantaneous communications and, you know, I mean, we're sitting here and... Uh, we're all probably in different parts of the country. Doesn't matter, right? I mean, we're mm-hmm. interacting and all that stuff, which is cool. But uh, I think in earlier days when there wasn't, there was more mystery, I guess, to things. It's kind of yeah, yeah. Mm. Listen, so we we have uh, Elizabeth and I have a. We just finished a draft. I uh, can't really discuss the exact thing, but it's a period, nineteen thirties historical thing based on it's a true story and we knew one of the guys that was involved in it and uh, we just finished a draft of that for a company so when you see it, what happens with uh, with that and we have our our movie uh, the Chick- uh, Montford the Chickasaw Rancher just came out on Netflix last month oh so, that's awesome so that's up on Netflix now yeah and we we we're our real names are on as associate producers. We used my, my, uh, we wrote it for the Chickasaw Nation in Arizona, They're doing some movies on tribal history. Yeah. And uh, they hired us to write, write this uh, story. And it's phenomenal, true story. This guy was an or- Chickasaw, his mother was Chickasaw, his dad was an English Shakespearean actor, born in 1932, or 1832, sorry, became. Yeah. From dirt poor, became one of the biggest cattle barons in Oklahoma. His son helped found at the University of Oklahoma, and uh, so we. It is a, a terrific story, and uh, so. But we used my uh, my great great grandmother, my mom's side was uh, Cherokee Indian, so we used her name, Diana her as the script Lucy Tennessee Cole. So yeah. if you see the picture, that. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, you know, and now with with something like Netflix for for people to get things made, it's such a great vehicle. Hulu, Amazon Prime, all this stuff, and and you get to work with your wife. Uh, you guys seem to have an amazing relationship. You get to do a lot of creative things together. So, what a great life, right? Yeah, and, and it's because, it's all because she's much smarter than I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, somebody's got to be for sure. And and you know, it's it, at any point in time, do you ever look back at the movies? that you wrote in, in the 80s, uh, do you miss writing that stuff or do you feel like you made your mark? Oh, I, I, I loved it. I, and I, I love those kind of movies. And, and uh, I'm less enamored of current movies just because of the CGI and green screen. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. It's, I hate there's, it. We there's, all do. And, and I think audiences don't even know there's subconsciously at least a realization that 
how that something's more real in, yeah. in the older pictures when they it wasn't some guy at a computer creating this crazy stuff. Yeah, for, um, for people like us, like growing up and stuff like watch like I think that was like the heyday for sure. Like the 80s really you know, those movies really just, I, I mean, we still talk about them now. Like the seventies were cool too. Nineties had its moments, but like the eighties, like when we had Sam Furstenberg on, we talked about like yeah. revenge of the ninja and all the cool stuff that he got to do as well. Um, it was just a great era, you know? And, and it's, I mean, you listen, like you wrote movies that will live on forever. So, you know what I mean? Like you're drinking out it of an invention. Like <laughs> you're making it. No complaints on this end. Yeah, I mean, oh, you're oh. drinking out of an Invasion USA mug. I don't know, Brian. Why don't you have that mug? That's what I want to know. I don't know. I feel yeah, I feel very upset that I don't. No, he's that. got the shirt on. Get out of here. It's great. Uh, let's see if I can do this. Well, Perfect. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> right now, I, anyway. um, I just <laughs> I, I want to ask you one last question on my part. I don't know if they have any questions, but. Um, in that era in the 80s what was one movie that you didn't write that just blew you away from that 80s era that you were like wow that's a great script great action more than one give me a few i'm thinking actually something earlier like anything Ilias did like it's the 70s but the original dillinger Mm-hmm. Wind and the Lion. Um, I think Wind and the Lion. I think I sat, I sat through at the theater twice. Just I was like, oh my gosh, at the end. And uh, I'm sure there's other ones, but I'm like, oh. okay, yeah, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> you know, uh, did you guys have anything else? Um, Brian, you got some. I just wanted to touch on uh, guns for Invasion USA because it was such a big part of that. I mean, such between the explosions and the guns. I mean, you had like the M16s, the Uzis, the bazookas. I mean, did you guys actually sit down and have like a meeting and just say like, where the hell are we going to find like, like who had these ideas to use all these different weapons? Was it somebody on set that, you know, was like a weapons guy? Well, some of it was in the script, like Chuck using the, the twin Uzis and everything, yes. because trying to come up with something, you know, that would be memorable, which, you know, that, that sure worked. Uh, and the good thing about Zito, I, I was starting to tell you not, uh, earlier, we went on this location scout and, you know, he told me, he said, I want to get you away from Chuck and Aaron. So we we're going to go to the locations and we're going to see what we can do. And then, you know, you guys work together and so on. And uh, that's where we found out about the, the houses that they were going to tear down to extend the Atlanta airport. And so that sequence was like an, oh my gosh, we can do what we have. How many real suburban homes? Amazing. And there's terrorists come to the country yeah. and we can. So, and the same thing with that shopping mall. They're going to renovate them all. We yep. can drive this giant truck through these stores and it you couldn't it would have been a, I don't know what the budget would have been if you had to actually build that stuff. Oh, a lot. So it was like <laughs> we lot. were we were blessed. And then with the with the actual invasion, we were I guess think you know, we're looking at the beach and everything. It's kind of, and we get landing craft. We get World War II landing craft. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. It makes yeah. no sense, but it's visually the coolest thing ever. 
Yeah. And uh, that whole thing. So um, it was great to be able to, to walk through a lot of that stuff and come up with, you know, different things uh, uh, that ended up being, you know, spectacular on screen. And uh, if I was going to say something earlier, so Invasion, 20, 25 minutes, get cut out. They are filming the picture. We were there for part of the time. Get an emergency call. You've got to come down to Atlanta. Why? Well, we changed the ending, but it doesn't work. So what do you mean you changed the ending? The whole picture is leading up to the ending. No, you've got to come down. We've got, you know, we have a, another week. We have a week to shoot. We've got Richard Lynch for this much time and so on. You have to figure out an ending. Like, oh, my gosh. And honestly, I tried to find the original script to see what the original ending was. I couldn't, I can't remember what it is today. So I had to go down to Atlanta, see what they'd done, see the location and go, oh, okay, how can we do this with, uh, Chuck's got it, as we saying earlier, there's always the main bad guy and there's the, the sidekick that's yes, deadly, but a little less so. so yep, yep, yep. How are we gonna do this with, and so that's the, the bazooka stalking or whatever at the end. That was basically done on the on the fly because they had basically filmed themselves into a corner. Yeah. <laughs> and needed to have an ending. With, so uh, that's great. Uh, one of you guys maybe heard this story about the scene where they're dropping the leaflets from the helicopters. So I wrote out a, a leaflet like what what an official leaflet would have been, but, you know, been, I forget all the details, but somebody stay in your home so you hear from, you know, there'll be an announcement. And uh, we, <laughs> Elizabeth and I were down there, we're going out to dinner with uh, Chuck and his wife. We're in the, we're in the limo, he gets this phone call. It's like, Chuck always has a pretty good disposition and he's all upset. It's wrong. Oh. You know the leaflets they dropped? Yeah. And instead of dropping leaflets that said, Atlanta, thank you for letting us film here. We love you, Canon Films. They dropped all, all the leaflets looked like official warning thing to get off the street. Yeah. And the, the I can't remember if it was a bucket or something, one of the local police departments had just gotten a phone call, three little old ladies. Had been hiding in one ba in their basement for three days. <laughs> oh my god! They called the police and says it's safe to come out. Oh my Doc god! Was it, was, it was hilarious, but it was, it was so mad. Yeah. God, oh. great story. I gotta great I gotta story. ask you one thing before we let you go. Um, it says in your IMDb profile that you wrestled a bear once. Is that true? <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Back in the day, I'm from Wisconsin, uh, and my at one point I wanted to be a professional wrestler. So I was, you know, I weighed about 50 pounds more than I do now. I got up to 225. I couldn't get bigger without steroids. I didn't want to do it. So my roommate at the time was, uh, and I didn't know it when we became roommates, was an ex-con who had been in and out of prison for years, a bank robber. <laughs> Nicest guy in the world, but, and he was really into lifting weights and said, yeah, the, and, and, and 
back then, every year there was a sports show, a big sports show in Madison and Milwaukee. And the highlight was bear wrestling. This guy, wrestler, Truffy Truesdale, had a bear named Victor. He's a wrestling bear. And my roommate, Gary, said, yeah, I wrestled him before. It's not, uh, it's not hard. You just, I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't know. He said, no, no, it's okay. He said, I'll go first. You, you watch me. You watch what I do. And you kind of follow. So we get, we get there. We sign up. I text us. I say, okay, you guys. All right. You points to me. You're first. I think. Oh, God. oh my God. So I have three or four pictures that going in like this with the bear, this with the bear going down like this, and the bear laying on top of me. And the bear weighed like 500 pounds or something. No way. Once it got out, of you that was that was, that was it. it. So yeah. I didn't uh, I didn't make the two minute time limit, but I did wrestle the bear and and. Uh, Wow. wow. That's crazy. I had no idea. Like so much fake stuff makes it to the internet that I was like, yeah. no way that's real, but it's yeah. real. I had to know. You you were you were the first person that we've had on that wrestled the bear. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to say it's time to die. <laughs> yeah. Um James, man, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to you, three strangers from Long Island, New York. Thank you for the movies that you made that we still watch. Uh, Brian, what are you watching as we do this? In the background, I'm watching Delta Force. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, thank you so much for doing yeah, it. Thank and, you. Uh, you, you know, we uh, I'll, I'll put this up soon because uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll edit. It's Christmas time. You got to have Invasion USA for That's Christmas. A, you know, exactly. awesome. Thank you. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, James. Thanks very much. Take care. Happy holidays to everybody. Yes, you too. All right, bye. All right, Take bye. Care. Cheers.